0: Welcome to the Green Acres Podcast. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. Man, I'm telling you, there is nothing like gathering with God's people. There is nothing better. You know, I want to I wanna believe that statement. And uh, I, was, I was back there, so I don't know if uh, Miss Debbie said this again, but uh, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. To be in the presence of God, to be the doorkeeper of his temple would be better than any other place on earth, any other place imaginable is the presence of Jesus. You know, this is a distinct gathering. It is a gathering like no other. I mean, there's no other gathering in the world that is like it. In fact, there will be 73,000 people that go to Arizona tonight and watch uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Anyone? Okay. Some booze. Okay. Versus the Eagles. No way. Listen, you can't trust the students. All right. Anyways, before we get into a tomato throwing contest, all right. uh, there, there's there's a uniqueness about sports that really, you know, the illustration was going to br- be that brings us together, but that didn't happen today. All right, and so uh, it's a broken illustration already. But but normally, think about your team. All right, and so say. Uh, that your team is playing tonight and your team, uh, you want to win your team. You're going to wear their colors. You're going to show up. You're going to be there in person. And that's exactly what uh, folks are going to do tonight. And not only the millions around the, uh, the United States watching on their television are joining in and watching uh, the game. Uh, you know, it even happened this past Tuesday night. This past Tuesday night, uh, there were about 20,000 fans who, who planned out the NBA season just to make sure that they were there in person to watch LeBron James surpass Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record. And that happened on Tuesday night. About 20,000 people were there in person to see it taking place. And I'm going to tell you, you know, what is incredible about it is that there were some folks um, who were watching um, LeBron score throughout the season, and they're making sure that they're calculating based on hypotheticals and based on um, what they think will happen, and so uh, to make sure that they get the right seat at the right game at the right time so that they can just be there in person. I mean, there is something incredible. And as soon as LeBron uh, hit that fadeaway jumper to, to surpass the record— I mean, the entire stadium went crazy. I was watching on my, ho- uh, on my couch, and so I didn't get up and scream uh, because I was the only one there that cared, okay? But, um, but, but there were 20,000 people in that stadium that were high-fiving each other, and they were just going uh, bananas over this guy who just passed the scoring record. You know, what makes us so distinct in our gathering is not whether or not we're going to score a touchdown or not whether or not we're going to pass some record or anything like that. Uh, what makes us so distinct is that you and I have a true reason to celebrate like no other people on earth, like there is no other reason to celebrate the the celebrations that are going to happen tonight, the celebrations that happen Tuesday night, they're very limited. They're very temporal. But the celebration that you and I have has eternal impact, has eternal ramification. A record that will never be broken again is the record that Jesus Christ set on the cross. No one will surpass that because it will no longer, it's no longer needed What Jesus did on the cross, he cried out in his final words saying, it is finished. There will never be another time. Listen, LeBron James can't say that. Patrick Mahomes can't say that. Nobody can say that. Except Jesus himself, that it is finished. Every other record is meant to be broken. Every other celebration will need to be celebrated again. But you and I, we have something distinct. And that is why we gather in a distinct way. Because we have a distinct reason to gather. This is what Paul talks about in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3 we see this taking place in verses 12 through 17. And, you know, it's not often that we think about Colossians chapter 3 as a, as a formation for our ecclesiology. But, but what is interesting about Colossians chapter 3 is that uh, Paul is specifically writing to a local church in Colossae. And he is writing to this group of believers and he is telling them, what does it look like when you gather together? When you... Gather in one body. And he gives us some insight of what that should look like in verses 12 through 17. And so, if you have your copy of God's word, uh, would you mind standing if you're willing and able? And we're going to read this passage together. And it says this starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, will you speak to us now, God, in ways that only you can. Father, you, by your spirit, you know exactly what words are needed. You you know exactly what needs to be said, what needs to be heard. And so, Father, that is our prayer today. God, that you would speak clearly and that we would hear unhindered so that you may speak to us, Father. We ask that In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, you may sit down once again. We've seen this once before. As we've been studying what the church is, as we have been studying this this term, ecclesia. what that truly means is the called out people, those who are set apart by God himself. It is the people that God died for. It is the people that have trusted in him as their Lord and Savior. And so because of that, they are set apart. They are a distinct people from the world, from everyone else. That no one else can claim this distinction. It's a marker that is only given by the Spirit of God himself that was bought by Jesus, the Lord himself. But what does this people do when we come together? you know, we don't talk about this much. Um, I haven't heard many sermons on it, to be honest with you, growing up in the church. um, I've never really thought about it much. You just go to church and do what they tell you to do. You go to church, you sing some songs, you hear uh, some preaching, you do your best to stay awake, you go to lunch, and then you go home for Sunday afternoon nap. That's what you do for the Lord's Day. And that's really most of our understanding. And let me just remind you of something. There's nothing evil in that. The way we grew up is the way we grew up. But God's word actually informs what we should do when we gather Remember, we talked about God's word and how it's distinct from any other kind of word. And because it's a distinct word, that that is the word by which we are informed and instructed for all things. Not just the way you live individually, but the way we live corporately, the way we come together, the way we worship together. And this is where Paul begins is that togetherness. That community of believers, the local body, what are they to look like when they do come together? And the first thing that we need to understand about this gathering is that it provokes something within us. It provokes these horizontal relationships that that go from here to there, that go outwardly. That as we gather together, there's a unique provoking and prodding that takes place within us that causes us to orient ourselves toward other individuals. There's a reason for this. There's a reason that this is God's design for his people because God knows that we are a selfish people by nature. By nature, we want what we want. We want to get what we want. We go and try to get what we want. This is just what we do. We are selfish people by nature. But if we are forced together, if we, are, if we come together, if we gather, then we have to come face to face with our own selfishness. You see, I find it interesting. I've had people tell me before, which is actually theologically true, what they, are, what they say. They say to me, well, I don't have to go to church to be saved. That's actually a true statement. Listen, you are only saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not saved by the church. You're not saved because of the church. You are not saved through the church. Listen, you are only saved by grace through faith. And it is the blood of Jesus that is the only thing that atones for your sins and sets you apart and gives you a right standing before God. It is only Jesus. Okay. So in that sense, it is theologically correct to say that I don't have to go to church to be saved. But but here's the issue with it. I also don't have to live with my wife to be married to her. And although she may joke about that being a good thing for her, it's not good for our marriage, okay? There's actually no way to have a healthy marriage if you don't live together. There's no way to have a healthy marriage if you are not forced to deal with your own selfishness. And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, there is no better way to identify selfishness than when you get married. Then there's another layer. As soon as you have kids... You have another layer of selfishness that God is rooting out of your heart. This is just the way that God made it. It is a good thing that when you are living with your spouse, when you are striving toward a biblical marriage that honors the Lord, you have to come face to face with these things. And it is the same thing for the church. Listen, if you live in isolation apart from the church, if you neglect gathering with God's people, you never have to come face to face with your own sin and your own selfishness. You can just waller in your own mud just like a pig and no big deal. Y'all know what I mean by a pig, right? A pig just looks for ways that it can waller in the mud and cool itself off. A pig just looks for ways that it can feed uh, itself, right? And sometimes we do this as God's people, that we just look for ways to serve ourselves. And and listen, this is natural. This This is what people do because why? We are selfish by nature. We look out for number one, but this is not the way of Christ. It's actually the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus tells us that we are to live on behalf of others. Jesus tells us that we should live for the one who is yet not here, the person who is apart from Christ, the person who needs Christ, and and we are to live for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what Paul tells us to do. And Paul specifically tells us ways that we can do that. In verses 12 and 13, he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, the called out, the ecclesia, okay, he says, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. Uh, He's saying, be a compassionate people, be kind, be humble, be gentle, be patient with one another. He says to bear with one another and forgive one another. He says, if there's a grievance that anybody has against you, listen, take care of those things. And the Beatitudes, Jesus addresses this as well. He tells us how that we are to reorient ourselves toward others. We see the same thing in, with the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, uh, he's not saying that as as we get closer to the day of Christ, as we get closer to the day of the Lord, on his second return, his second coming, uh, Paul um, makes sure that we are gathering more. The writer of Hebrews says, make sure you are gathering more, not less, You know, in the 80s and 90s, the average faithful member was going to church twice a week. Twice a week. Do you know that the average faithful member in 2022, you know what it is? 1.8 times a month. That is the faithful church member, by the way. And listen, this is not a statistic to beat us up with. It's not something that we should um, beat one another up with, okay? It's just a reality that, listen, one of the things that the enemy can do in your life is to be strategic about the busyness of your schedule so that you will neglect the gathering of God's people. It's a strategy. And not all things are evil that we participate in. Listen, there's nothing evil about wanting to stay in and have brunch with your wife or your husband. There's nothing evil about having to go to a a travel or select sport baseball game. There's nothing evil about wanting extra sleep. There's nothing evil about wanting just one day of rest where I have nothing to do. There's nothing necessarily evil about those things unless it provides a desire in your heart that is greater than the desire of God in your life. That's when it becomes evil and wicked, when it begins to separate you from the Lord himself. And so what does Paul tell us? What does the writer of Hebrews say? He says, be careful to not neglect it. It's a warning. He's saying, listen, do not neglect these things because there is no way to, for God to root out sinfulness. And this is what we have to see as we are faced toward each other. We have to deal with one another. We have to show affection toward one another. And what this does internally is that it provokes reflection. Like, like it, it, it makes us look inward, like if I have a problem with what is going on at church, if I have a problem with a brother or sister at church, if I have a, a problem with, with whatever is going on, then it, it makes me reflect internally rather than just lash out externally. Like it should cause us to have a, a pause in our spirit, a pause in our step to wonder, okay, what is the Lord teaching me through this? What is God trying to um, root out of my own life in this as I gather with God's people? This is for every single one of us. This is what he says in uh, verse 14 and 15. He says, above all, put on love. He says that this is the perfect bond of unity. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ, which you are also called, um, he says, in one body. He says this, listen, rule your life. Hearts and be thankful. You know, in order to rule your heart, it's this surrender that you are laying it down to the feet of Jesus. You're laying these things down at the cross and saying, Lord, I know that my heart is wicked. I know that my heart will lead me astray. That's why the great hymn says, like a fetter, God, would you bind my wandering heart to thee because I am prone to wander. I am prone to leave the God I love. But you know what happens when we gather together? You know what we happen? What happens when we gather with God's people is that God uses that in a unique way to fetter us, to tether us, to bind us, to tie us together because we are tying each other to the ways of Christ, to the body of Christ, which is Christ himself that he died for. He says we must come together. Do not neglect it, lest we neglect this reflection internally within us, because it's not like we don't have different preferences. I mean, as soon as we dismiss from here, we're all going to go different ways for a lunch of our own choosing. Tonight, we're going to have a dinner of our own choosing. Um, We all have a different team that we're cheering for, unless you're from White House or Tyler, then you cheer for the chiefs, okay? Enough with the other things. But, but the truth is, no, clap for that, okay? Don't do it. I see it in your eyes. But, but here's the truth. We all have our own preferences. I love vanilla ice cream. I'm a plain guy. My wife loves chocolate. We can still get along. Because here's what is going on, though. When you are forced to face with one another, and God begins to root out these things in your own heart, it allows us to do what Paul is saying here, is to put on love, it allows us to be affectionate toward one another. It allows us to, to be a distinct people because this is what the world says. The world says that every gathering is about you individually. Like if you pay money to go see a team, listen, nobody's going to expect you to switch jerseys. Like nobody's going to expect you uh, to switch who you're cheering for. The truth is, is that a distinct gathering means that we all come into this place together. When we gather as one body, what we do is that we lay our preference on the ground and say, God, you do with it whatever you want. We lay our desires on the ground. We lay what we want on the ground and we say, God, do with me whatever you want for the edification, for the admonishing of the body of yourself. And so use me however you want me to be used, but I want to be yours. You see, that's what it looks like to be a distinct gathering is when you have a selfish people who want to be selfish, but they love Christ so much that they lay it down and say, it's not about me. It is not my desire, God. It is about you. And it changes everything about the way we gather. And then the world will look and they'll say, why, why are they so different? You know, different doesn't mean weird, okay? Listen, God is not raising up a bunch of weirdos. That's not what he does. He's raising up people to be distinct for him. Different for him. And maybe to the world that does look weird because there's nothing else like it. But when you and I gather, you know what we do? We allow this internal reflection to take place as Paul says, rule your hearts and be thankful. Rule your heart and be thankful. In the moments that I don't have my way, I don't get my way, Paul says, rule your heart. Don't let it run amok. Don't let it go awry. Don't let it rule over you. Don't let your sin take over. Don't let the wickedness of your heart take over your life. Life, He's saying, rule your hearts. And he says, and be thankful. Because I'll promise you this, there will be times that we gather and the preaching just does not tickle your ears. I promise there will be times that we gather and the song selection is not your favorite. That, that It's not your particular type of style. And here's what the world has to offer you. At any moment, you can go online and you can listen to your favorite preacher. You can listen to your favorite sermon of your favorite preacher, and you can listen to it at your own favorite time in your favorite pajamas, in your favorite bed, at your favorite house, eating your favorite cereal, doing your favorite things. But here's what that does. Do you know what that does? You can also listen on Spotify or music. You can listen to your favorite worship. You can listen to it whenever you want. You can listen to your own style, and you will never have to deal with people again. You'll never have to deal with your brothers and sisters We will never actually have to work through things together as a family, but that is not the way of Christ. And that is not the witness to the world because that is what the world expects of us. Just do your own thing. Listen, you have options. You can go to church wherever you want. That's a true statement, but you're not called to go to any church you want. You're called to go where God calls you. If that's at First Baptist, praise be to Jesus because it's a great church. If that's at South Spring, praise be to Jesus because that is a great church. If it's at another gospel Center church and the Lord is calling you to be there and the Lord is calling you to go there and to serve there and to plug in there, then I will be the first to say praise be to Jesus because I want you to be in the center of God's will. But when we pick and choose based on our own appetite, we are not doing God's will in our life. We are shaming the church for no reason. And you and I are called higher. You and I are called to a higher standard. That we say to the world, you know, it's not my favorite. But man, I love Jesus too much to do anything different. It's not my favorite. But I love being with God's people. Because this is what it does. When we lay it down, the gathering provokes vertical response. You see, this is what we see all throughout Scripture is that the corporate worship, the corporate gathering, when we come together, everything is about Jesus. Everything is about our response to him. This is exactly what we see in Isaiah chapter six. In Isaiah chapter six, you see this when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he goes through all the details of the temple, like the threshold is shaking and the train of his robe is is filling the temple and smoke is there and all these incredible things. And then all he says in verse five is, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. And this is what Isaiah is saying. As soon as I have visual of who God is, my only response is to fall in worship. We see the same thing in Revelation chapter five. And all of this is throughout scripture, meaning that if you have an encounter with God himself, that all you can do is fall to your feet on your knees and worship Jesus. All you can do is to worship God because why in the world would God send his one and only son to die in our place? there is absolutely no reason that jesus should do it but he did it and he says this is your response this is your response you have two things you can either stiff arm the lord or you can lay everything down and follow him there's a vertical response and everything we do revolves around that when we gather together we do it through scripture Everything that we do is based on what God's word says. This is what Paul says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. And so in everything we do, we are going to preach God's word. We're going to teach God's word in our connect groups. We're going to pray God's word. We're going to read God's word. And we want to see God's word. And we are going to sing God's word as well. This is what provokes us. The second thing we see is through song. Do you see what he says in verse 16? He says, admonishing one another, building each other, uh, uh, what's that word? Each other, thank you. All right, building each other up, edifying each other. He says to do it through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, there is clarity here on the style of worship that we're supposed to have at this church. You know what it is? It is worship that is vertically directed, that it is centered on God's word, and it is gratitude from our heart. There's not really anything else to talk about. You know, so many times we come to this passage, and then we go to Ephesians 4.19, and we want to give a case for our style of worship. And we want to say, you know what, I told you, the Bible said all we should do is sing hymns. And then you have people on the other side of the court. They said, you know, what? I told you all we should do is sing God's word from the Psalter, the Psalms. And then you have other people. And they say, I told you all we're supposed to do is sing spiritual songs about how God saved me and rescued me. Uh, That's all we're supposed to do. And who is right? Everybody. Here's the problem. If we camp out in just one thing, if we camp out and say, you know what, we're only going to sing hymns. Well, we're missing the blessing of other things. If we say, you know what, all we're going to do is sing songs directly from the Psalter, directly from the book of Psalms, or we're going to miss out on other things. If we say we're only going to sing this, we miss out. And so what we want to do is we want to sing things that are gospel-centered, that is saturated in the word of God, and it is vertically directed, that provokes a response from within us toward God. God. That's what we want to do. When we sing songs together, we want to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. We want to be reminded of the goodness of God. We want to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't want to just um, read it. We don't want to just um, preach about it or teach about it. We want to sing it together as a declaration from God's people saying that we are not worthy, but only you are worthy and you should not have come and saved me, but you did. And so therefore I fall and I worship you alone. That's what it looks like for God's people to gather. And the last thing we see is that we are provoked to respond through sacrifice. That it takes sacrifice for this to work. That it takes sacrifice from every single one of us. And it's not just sacrificing for those who are here, but when we think about sacrifice, it is actually sacrificial within us to live in such a way for those who are not yet here. You know, it is distinct for God's people to gather together in such a way that it builds us up and makes us stronger so that we may scatter more effectively. That's the the reason why we come together. Is that we want to gather, we want to build each other up, we want to encourage each other so that tomorrow we can scatter once again and step back into the battlefield. But it takes sacrifice. You know, one of the things that as a church body that we're having to do is sacrifice in unique ways and and you sacrifice all the time for this body. And it's not just financially. You sacrifice your preferences. You sacrifice some desires. You sacrifice some ways that that the church is different from what you grew up in. And I get all that. I understand. But there's another way that we have to sacrifice together, and that is that we have to adjust our schedule in the future. And I want to tell you real fast about this adjustment. Starting on April 9th, which is Easter Sunday, Okay Easter Sunday April 9th is that we are going to be meeting for worship at 9:30 and 11 all right now this is what that means we're also going to have connect groups at 8 9:30 and 11 for all ages Okay, so if you desire to have an early start, which you are here at eleven, so I don't think that's your cup of tea. But if you desire to have an early start, you can go to eight o'clock Connect Group and nine thirty worship. So really, most of you, this doesn't affect in this room. Okay, you can still keep going to eleven o'clock worship. Okay, but here's the truth about it: what we are attempting to do is that there are we have we have had several Sundays um, since the beginning of the year that the eleven o'clock service. Um, is a little more full than what is comfortable. And this is what I mean by that, because you can look around and you can see pockets of seats or whatever, but, but for the majority, these past couple of weeks, we have seen that if a family of six comes in and they cannot see quickly of how they can sit together, then subjectively, that means that it's too full. So what we wanna do is we wanna create more space for people to have an option at 9.30, which isn't too early to open up some more seats at 11. Now, why do we do this? You see, the greatest distinction of God's people, the greatest distinction of our gathering together is that we live a sacrificial life that is a reflection of the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. And this takes sacrifice, it takes finances, it takes his service, it takes all of these things for God's mission to continue to move forward. And I just want to ask that you continue to press in, that we continue to move forward as his people. And in those moments, I want you to ask yourself, am I living a reflection of the sacrifice of Jesus in my life or not? What was it that Jesus did? He took your place a cross that was meant for you, a cross that I deserved, a cross that you deserved, and Jesus said, I'm going to take that. So, does your life reflect that type of sacrifice? We just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to ask you that question because so many times we attempt to live this Christian life without first taking that step toward Jesus to follow him. And maybe you're here this morning, you have never given your life to Jesus. You have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never been saved. And you know that, well, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And he is inviting you right now to partake in the sacrifice that he gave you freely. The removal of your sins once and for all, The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, that if you believe in your heart, this gospel message, the Bible says you will be saved. And I wanna invite you right now, if that is you this morning, you pray right now, you pray, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to step into my life. And whatever that is, make that your prayer. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer today. God, that those who, are, who have been saved, those who are saved, God, that we would live the life that you are calling us to live and the grace that you have provided for us. God, because it's not me mustering up more courage to live for you, it is your grace, it is your spirit inside of me that allows me to live for you. And so God, would you help us For those who have never given their life to you, I pray, Jesus, right now that you would stir and speak to them clearly. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we want to help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you need to figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres whatever that decision is we want to come alongside you and so do us a favor you can fill out the connect card at gabc.org and one of our team members will be with you very shortly whatever it is that God has laid on your heart we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ I look forward to hearing from you soon